can you start Ilya Sorokin, have him make the first five saves, and then get Varlamov in there? Barry has this pained expression as to what is this idiot going to ask me now? He's such an interesting player. Um, and, and the Islanders fans have been savvy enough to pick up on that. I'm not giving you a wimpy trifecta. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast, episode 94, as we ponder the significance of the Islanders' 2-1 overtime loss in Game 3, as the Bruins take a 2-1 series lead. It's the exact same hole the Islanders found themselves against the Penguins in the first round, but... Neil Best, Colin Stevenson, and I will discuss whether it's the same scenario as the first round. And hi, I'm your host, Andrew Gross of Newsday. Neil, let's start here because you wrote uh, your column for Newsday.com backslash Isles on the fact that the Bruins are not the Penguins and goalie Tuka Rask is not goalie Tristan Jarry for the Penguins. So... How much deeper of a hold does 2-1 seem against the Bruins than it does or did against the Penguins? I mean, it definitely seems deeper, not not just because of Rask, guys. I just think the uh, Bruins are a better team. But Rask is a big part of it. You know, I, 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 I think I wrote this before the series even started, but when I heard everyone uh, at the Coliseum chanting his name the way they did to Tristan Jerry, I'm just thinking – yeah, I mean, it's cool you're doing this, but I don't think this is actually going to have any effect. Whereas when they were doing it to Tristan Jerry, I thought it actually might be having an effect. So, um, yeah, I think there's no question this 2-1 seems worse than the last 2-1. That doesn't mean the Islanders can't turn it around, obviously. Duke Rask is not Superman, but he's better than Tristan Jerry, Colin's old friend. <laughs> yeah, Colin, Colin, you hating on any goalies in this uh, in this series? Well, it was never personal, and I apologize to Tristan Jarry if it came off that way. I just, you know, didn't have a lot of confidence that uh, he was going to be able to win that series. I just never did. Yeah, I, I did notice Tristan Jarry hit the unsubscribe uh, <laughs> island I podcast. So I, I do feel like we've been dumping on this guy for three weeks now. It's yeah. been like I. <laughs> Well, not, not nearly as bad as absolutely everyone who lives in Pittsburgh and the surrounding suburbs. So I, I think he's got pro- bigger problems than what the three of us think of as goaltending. But yeah, so the, the Islanders are in a 2-1 hole. Game four is Saturday after the Belmont at Nassau Coliseum. And, you know... I, I, not to be negative, there is a chance that this could again be the final, you know, go round at Nassau Coliseum if the Islanders don't get a win here. Although I think we all suspect before UBS Arena at Belmont Park finally opens sometime in November, if it's on target, the Islanders will find a way to play at Nassau Coliseum again. But it, it could be the final playoff game if things don't break well on, on, on Saturday, they, Colin, do you, do you worry about that? Or uh, do you feel like there will be a continuation of playoff hockey at the Coliseum? Uh, no, no, I'm definitely worried. It's uh, you spent like, you know, if you look at game three, 
I think the Islanders outplayed them, despite what the shot clock says. I mean, I think the Islanders owned that that third period and that overtime. And, you know, despite the fact that, uh, you know, Rask didn't make a million saves, I mean, he made some really good saves when the team needed him to make saves, including five in the overtime. The Islanders absolutely dominated that overtime. You know, again, as Neil said, it, it doesn't mean that he can't be beat. Uh, but it, but what it does mean is, you know, you can't be falling down one nothing again every, you know, five minutes into the game like like they always seem to do with with Semyon Varlamov in it. And I was watching the game with my, you know, at home with my son, and you know, he said, "Are they ever going to score first? And I reminded him that <laughs> they scored first in game one, uh, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I forgot about." That. You know? It's one of those things where it feels like they constantly give up the first goal. And, and you just, at some point, yes, they, you know, Varlamov was tremendous and made 39 saves or whatever it was and kept them in it. And they keep fighting and keep fighting and they come back and they, you know, they never quit. And that's all wonderful. But, you know, when you're, when you put yourself in a hole that early and you spend the entire game trying to dig out, I mean, look at what, you know, and then they give up a goal to Brad Marchand of all people. I mean, like the you know, well, it's not like he hasn't scored before in his life. I mean, no, I mean, no, but he's the most hated guy in, in the hockey almost. You know, it's either him or Tom Wilson. Don't not that guy. You know, that, you want to give up to David Pasternak? He's cool. He does the Dunkin' Donuts commercials. By the way, happy Dunkin' Don- National Donut Day today. By the way, um, <laughs> oh, good. This is another ten pounds. My body does not need to get added on. National Donut Day as we speak on Friday, people. So go out and get your free donut. Um, you know, but, but no, it's just it's it's just demoralizing. And I, and I you know I, I can see them winning Game Four. I mean they're they're going to come back and um, you know they'll have a big push and and uh, and I can see them winning Game Four. But I, you know their prospects for winning the series are not good if they keep giving up that early goal. And and and, and, and per. Islanders team statistician, uh, I'm sorry, Neil, uh, Eric Hornick, I just want to throw this out real quick. I saw Eric tweeted it out, and I, uh, I dutifully stole it for Newsday because it was a really good stat. Um, Semyon Varlamov has started four games in the playoffs between the two series, and uh, again, this is not a hate on Semyon Varlamov moment because he was really, really good for, for the most part last night. But this is now four games out of four starts where he is allowed a goal on one of the first three shots against him. And, you know, we, we can talk about that Craig Smith goal. It, it was a good good shot. Beat him over the glove, under the crossbar. That That's probably more of, you know, what Craig Smith did than what Semyon Varlamov did not do there. But still, as, as Colin points out, it's you're in a one nothing deficit almost from the get-go and and you know the way the Bruins play it the Islanders had to work twice as hard to get anything accomplished as the Bruins did at times even though it was still a one nothing game in the third period I I just felt like the Islanders had to skate up ice at at times with with how tight the, the the Bruins were and I'm sorry Neil I cut you off there so uh no, no, I was just going to say, oh, oh, first of all, all of the things that you both said is true, and certainly about the early goals. 
Um, but, you know, I, in the bigger picture of this thing, I was, I was thinking about this during the game and then our friend from the New York Post, Larry Brooks, wrote it today. You know, this, it, 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 there's something about these ho- in hockey more so than the other sports. You just sometimes have these games where the outcome doesn't necessarily make any sense and both teams played well and the Islanders really deserve to win, but as did the Bruins. It's just a crazy, intense, really good hockey game. And that's the thing about hockey in general, hockey playoffs in particular. You just have some of these games where after the end of the game, you're just like, well, that was a lot of fun to watch, even though we understand that the actual result matters because we're in the playoffs and the Islanders are in huge trouble. But trying to make sense of that loss is very difficult because obviously the Islanders could just as easily have won that game. So, well, yeah, there's things they got to clean up. They got to stop with the early goals. You know, there's a lot of there, there are legitimate issues. You know, however, the reality is that was a great, entertaining great game. And, um, you know, the Islanders just happened to be the team that lost. And, and, that, and that was pretty much the players and, and Barry Trotz's attitude after the game. Jean-Gabriel Pajot, quote, said, you know, I, I get a good vibe out of the team, basically, uh, it, after the loss. And, you know, Matthew Barzell said, you worry about it for 10 minutes, you turn the page, and it's on to game four. Um, but, you know, we in the media, are, are, are our jobs are pretty much not to turn the page after 10 minutes. And, and you find folks are tuning in to hear our, our thoughts. No, on. I, I look just one more very big thing. Look, I'm a hockey guy. It's been my favorite sports since I was a little kid, even though I've mostly covered football and media. Um, however, uh, the, the, the challenge of writing and talking about hockey compared to the other sports is that I'm sorry, it makes less sense than the other sports. <laughs> so, so when you, we, we try to do these coherent narratives of hockey and, and to me, I'm, again, even as a fan of the sport, there's more randomness and illogic in this sport than any of the other major sports. And sometimes we twist ourselves into pretzels trying to make sense of it all. Hey, well, let me ask you this. Let, let, let's, let's just get right to cut right to the chase here. Who are you starting in goal in game four? Well, I, I wanted to make a, a Varlamov. Uh, well, before we, we ask that, let's preface that by saying – the winning goal, Brad Marchand, is that just a brilliant goal scorer shot into a really tiny space, yeah. or is that something that Varlamov has to stop? He has to stop it. He got surprised by the shot, and, and I was I was a little, little disappointed in his um, answer to the question of what happened on that play. This, oh, I've got to see the replay stuff. I mean, come on, you didn't, you didn't see it? Like, just hey, yeah, you know what? He's in a bad angle and he took a shot and I, you know, I just kind of wasn't expecting it and he just beat me, you know, something. Give me something. Don't give me this. I I have to look at the... I mean, Barry Trotz came out and said, yeah, you know, that might be one he wants back. So... Of course it is. I mean, it's... Look, I mean, if you look at the, you know, saw the replay, you know, to, to, to look exactly from where the shot was taken and it was outside of the circle in the bottom third of the circle. I mean, he has almost no angle there. He shouldn't even be able to see any of the goal from there. That's not a shot. I don't, I cannot believe he's shooting to score there. I have to believe it's one of those 
we're in overtime and I'm just going to put the puck at the net and see what happens. And maybe hope you get a rebound or a deflection or something like that. And it goes straight in. You can't allow that goal. I mean, and yes, he made 39 saves out, you know, and he only allowed two goals and his numbers are actually coming. And he's got a 923 save percentage in the playoffs so far, but you know, he's given up a lot of bad goals. Well, he, he admitted, Barshani admitted after the game, he's just throwing the puck to the net. I mean, yeah, I mean, the idea that he was aiming for that one inch is, is not plausible. Um, but, yeah, he did what he was supposed to do in overtime, just throw it, threw a throw it at the net, hope for a rebound, whatever. And um, But it was pretty amazing. <laughs> it was pretty amazing that that went in. I, Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. Not to hate on Varlamov, you know, I, it wasn't personal with Jari, and, and I'm not mad at Varlamov here either. I just think that, you know what? Well, I mean, also, Varley, I mean, there's a greater chance that Varley will be able to find out where you are and track you down than Tristan Jari. So. And, and I, do, I do say, I do believe that, unlike Tristan Jari, I don't think that this is going to get into his head, right? I think no, 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 no. where, you know, all right, he gave up a bad goal, he lost a game, you know. He'll come back next next game if you know the next game he's in. I don't think this will this will be in his head at all. Um, no, no, no. Let, let, let me ask, speaking of being in 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 his head or our heads. Did either one of you have this thought? As as Colin mentioned, the Islanders dominated the early portion of of overtime, and the and the shots wound up five two uh, for the Islanders in that you know, three minutes and 36 seconds of overtime. They were, they were all over Tuka Rask to start. And Tuka Rask, you know, uh, really the turning point to, to both Colin and I were, was when Tuka Rask stop, stops Everly and then Matthew Barzell right on the doorstep on the rebound chance. That was about a minute before Brad Marchand scores the winner. And how many overtimes have we seen where one time – where, where one team throws everything at the net, just throws everything at the net and can't score. And the other team just comes down the ice once and, and gets the goal. And I, I swear, I swear this is not, you know, like, you know, uh, Monday morning, you know, next day saying, oh, I knew that was going to happen. As soon as Barzell didn't score there, um, I, I started getting worried. I was like, this has all the makings of the Bruins coming down ice once and, and getting that goal. And, and I was hoping that wasn't going to be the case. And when I saw Marchand's goal went in, I was like, that that makes absolute sense to me. That how it ends. Well, yeah, that's there's no question. That's been going on since we were kids. And it is, I think it is a real thing. I mean, sometimes it, you know, maybe not as real as we think it is when we, you know, when these things actually occur, but I do think it's a real thing. And uh, speaking of the goal, we should point out that the guy who set up the winning goal was from Long Beach. So um, another, another incredibly great game by Charlie McAvoy. Yeah, this guy, you know, I think I did a poll, one of my Twitter polls about best hockey players from Long Island. And of course, this was in the middle of Adam Fox's great, you know, run. And he is, uh, you know, an emerging great player from Long Island. But this McAvoy, McAvoy is hard to top because he's been just great for them. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, they're, we're, of course, you know, covering the Islanders. So we're couching this and all the thing, the all the things the Islanders did wrong to lose this game. It should be pointed out that the Bruins did a lot of things correct to win this game. And, and 
I thought Barry summed it up best, saying it was a, it was a, a heck of a game between two blue collar teams, and you know the only the only way in this series is going to be the hard way because there's no easy ice. And I'm on board with everything Barry said about that. But I, I, I you know, and I was thinking about this during the game too because I knew if the Islanders lost and as they were losing one nothing, as as you start to write. You know, because you are covering that team, you, you start to highlight what that team did not do well or, or, or did wrong to get into the spot. And, and I said, you know, this could just be one of the games where instead of, you know, picking apart the Islanders, you just tip your hat to the Bruins and, and say this is a really, really good team that's balanced. And, you know, what, one one question for the Bruins going into game four is – you know, is their defense depth going to be challenged again after Brandon Carlo uh, got, you know, essentially, you know, I, I don't think he lost consciousness, but Cal Clutterbuck knocked that guy out. I mean, he, he, he LL cool jade him basically. I mean, yeah, that, that's going to be a question for them, but just along since you brought up the hitting, you know, I thought it was interesting how obviously the crowd was mostly, you know, 90% of the game was great, but there was a period early in the second period where they were kind of, you know, it was one nothing and they were getting a little quiet. And then Matt Martin, you know, just plants a couple of guys. And then in, in that whole second period, it was hitting all over the place. But it was that then from that moment on that that crowd was engaged, even though at that point their team had no goals. So um, the, the hitting in that, in this series in general, in that game in particular is just, you know, Mar yeah, Martin and Clutterbuck are just, just yeah. running all over the ice, just, just you know, as self-guided missiles. And, and, and let me make clear, I, I, it, was, it was a clean hit by Clutterbuck on Carlo. I mean, Carlo was just in a bad spot there and, and Clutterbuck came in hard on the forecheck and, and Carlo went hard into the glass and, it looked like his head snapped a little bit, and he was definitely woozy coming off the ice. There's been a lot of guys, there's been a lot of hits in these playoffs where guys seem to just be hitting just the right way that their head bounces off the glass, even though the player, you know, the player doing the hitting did not hit him in the head. Um, it was, you know, once we're done with Collins' like green area outside the benches for line changes, how about why can't there be softer? boards and glass like they did baseball outfield walls decades ago let's well, some kind of softer stuff. because if, if we if, the walls that's part of the game if we have foam glass the patrons won't be able to no, see the game no we have the technology no we have to figure out a a transparent soft glass transparent <laughs> soft glass well, if we can have green lines outside the benches, then we no, but we're, we're not going to have green lines. We we agreed the owners are not paying for green paints. That's not happening. All right, mean, baseball changed the walls. Come on. Oh, by the way, uh, while we're on green paint and other insane ideas, I want to thank all the uh, Twitter followers and all the subscribers for all the helicopter memes that were sent to me. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Yeah, that uh, did you see the did you see the the, the one with the, the guy who recorded his daughter playing the drums? She was pretty good, man. I like that. Maybe me and her get together and do a double drum solo at some point. I mean that could not be a solo. No, double drum solo. 
save, save that for the finals, uh, you know. When, when Phil Collins and, and Chester Thompson uh, oh, do we go. Ghost Endos, that's a drum solo with two drummers. How can it be a solo with two drummers? Because the only I instrument is the drum. <sighs> it's well, a solo. I, oh. I, I do not think that he should change. Oh. I do not think he should change goalies again for game four. I mean, we're at the point now where both of these guys, we've established they're both good. We've established they're, you know, they've been imperfect, but good. I mean, this going back and forth thing. I, I don't know. I, 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 I would just, I would just stick with Varlamov. Yeah. Except you can't, as, as we discussed earlier in the show, you can't play from behind early in the game. And, Four games in, this is a trend with Semyon Varlamov now. I guess, but it's not a bit of get, that's true. I get I get it. I, I'm not saying that's not a problem. However, he's also showed he's not like crumbling under the pressure or losing his skills. I mean, he's still their number one goalie. Just let him play and, and just try to win. No, he's he's like me bowling when I have more beer. I get better with, with more beer. I mean Varlamov just gets better as the game goes on. Unfortunately, it's, you know, can you can you start Ilya Sorokin, have him make the first five saves and then get Varlamov in there? Now that would be a that would be a creative love that idea. That's even better than the green lines by the bench. That would be like, yeah, like, you, like you, alternating you, quarterbacks. Yeah. The Islanders go with an opener to use a baseball <laughs> phrase. <laughs> I like it. Now that's thinking. That's thinking, Unger. Yeah, that <laughs> this is why I feel like, you know, somehow I feel like every silly nonsensical thing I say in the confines of this podcast, which of course is broadcast out and listened to million, by millions and millions of people hear this, of course, right? I, I feel like the best of or, or the worst of what I say is kind of transcribed and put on Barry Trotz's desk, <laughs> which is why every time I open my mouth in one of these Zoom press conferences, Barry has this pained expression as to what is this idiot going to ask me now? Yeah. Yeah, but I, I have noticed, understandably so, that on the off days and, and the pregame interviews, Barry's, you know, more relaxed and more willing to put up with ridiculous, you know, suggestions and questions. But understandably, after a game, after a loss, he's a little less, you know, flexible with us. Well, yeah, and I, and I try and contain the idiocy as much as possible, although sometimes it seeps out unwittingly, so... So, uh, Colin, your, your vote, are you going Sorokin or Varlamov in game four? You know what? If it's me, I would go with Sorokin. I think Sorokin's been uh, more reliable. Uh, you know, and, I, and I, I get what you're saying, Neil. I mean, you don't want to be going back and forth and back and forth. But to me, Barry, <clears throat> Barry kind of opened this, this whole can of worms um, himself by going back and forth. I mean – he started Sorokin in game one against Pittsburgh. They won. He should have just stayed with him. And, and he didn't. He came back with, with Varlamov and they lost game two. Varley gave up that bad goal. Then they lost game three. Then he came back with Sorokin. Sorokin won the next three games. They won the series. Starts him in game one and then comes right back to Varlamov in game two. Uh, and he should have just stayed with Sorokin. So, um, yes, yes. 
going back and forth is not ideal, but if it was me, I would have just stayed with Sorokin from the get-go. Oh, we need a decided, we need a tie-breaking vote now. I gotta be honest. And, and again, you know, my vote absolutely seals that they're gonna go the other way on this. But I I, I, I agree with Colin. I, I think I might come back with Ilya Sorokin in game four. I mean, we're we're talking about I think we said on the last podcast that, you know, Varlamov has the net until he loses it, right? Well, hard luck. You know, he makes 39 saves. He played brilliantly at times, but but the Islanders did lose the game. And the two goals he gave up, you know, yeah, you know, you question the first one because it's an early one again. And you, you don't want to always be playing from behind. And you question the late one because he probably should have stopped it. And I, I think those are things that Barry Trotz and Mitch Korn and Piero Greco are, are going to weigh very heavily. And I, I, I just get the feeling like they're going to go back to Sorokin in game four. The, the, the hint that you may be right was, of course, Barry saying that's when he'd like that back, um, meaning he was not happy with it. Uh, I, I just, well, so far, Barry's been more in line with me than you guys, so we'll see. I really think that he should do what Andrew said. Just start Sorokin and get through, like, the first 10 or 20 minutes. Maybe the first period. Look, to me, it goes back a little bit to what I was saying earlier about the randomness of hockey. I, I, I mean, how, how can you – there's no denying that Varlamov looked like a very competent NHL goalie in that game. So, so the fact that this bizarre, ridiculous angle puck went in, to me, does not mean you yank him. That's all. One other topic we should address um, would be Matthew Barzell because he scores his first goal of the playoffs. And honestly, he had four shots last night. He was around the net. It seemed like a hundred percent of the time. Um, and, and look, the Islanders had so many chances. Uh, Anthony Beauvillier had two breakaways and two other, you know, doorstep chances uh, Barzell with four shots. He, he pushes one just wide uh, as he skated around. You know, we talked about what a good game McAvoy had, but on, on that one play, Barzell kind of skates around, through, around, over, and under McAvoy and gets to the crease and, and gets to his forehand and pushes it just wide of, of, of that right post. Barzell scoring a goal and playing like this, how how well does that bode for the Islanders in, in game four now that he's, you know, he does have that first goal in, in his ledger. Uh, Colin, I know you're going to be writing about Matthew Barzell. Yay or nay that this is a, uh, these last two games are, are a launching pad for not only Barzell, but he's got to get Jordan Eberle uh, involved in the scoring as well. Do you, do you see that taking off from here? Well, I mean, undoubtedly, it's a good thing that he finally joined the party um, and, and scored a goal. And, and, uh, and, and, you know, you're right. His last two games back-to-back -back have been his best two games of the postseason. So that's all good stuff. The question is, is it in time? Um, and, and uh, you know, that, that we don't know. That we won't know until after the fact. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a good thing. And, you know, you got you to gotta look for positives. You know, when you lose a game, you got to look for positives. And that's definitely positive number one. So, you know, let's, let's see what he can do with that. Um, 
you know, I, I, I think that, you know, they, you know, the, he, he did a lot of the right things. He went to the net, trying to score from five feet away, as opposed to, you know, you know, skating up uh, by the, you know, the high slot area going, you know, east, west up by the high slot area. So, um, you know, it, it's all good. And then, you know, you, you referenced uh, Brandon Carlo earlier. Um, and the fact that uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure he won't be playing in game Saturday, in game four on Saturday. I mean, it, it, that was a bad sure. look. Yeah, he, he looked really woozy coming off the ice, so. Yeah, no, and, and listen, let's 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 hope for the best for him. Let's hope that, that you know, whatever it is, it's a, it's a very, very fast recovery. But um, all of that said, uh, if he's not in the lineup, then that means that somebody's coming into the lineup that, you know, that hasn't been playing. And, um, you know, maybe that that's a person that could be taken advantage of. And a guy like Matthew Barzell, you know, we talk about, and Neil has, has referenced this as well, many times actually, not the first line center right now, you know, um, because the first line is the Nelson line, clearly. Um, and I'm, I'm quite sure that, that Boston treats, you know, treats them that way. They don't just look at bars and say, okay, that's, that's the first line. Is that against them? No, <clears throat> you know, I mean, the, the first line the Abbeys have is the Nelson line. So that means that Barzell is probably working against one of their, you know, you know, their secondary lines. He's working against their third line, actually. Um, in in most cases or or even their fourth so you know yes he started now he's he's been activated he's had two good games in a row and and he needs to build on it speaking of lines um and, and it's kind of a tough bring up considering they were they were on the ice you know for Brad Marchand's winner but the Islanders' effort against the the quote unquote perfection line has gotten better and better each game um Brad Marchand with the winner and and uh Patrice Bergeron with the secondary assist on that Charlie McAvoy had the primary assist but uh, Pasta is held to three shots no points and it's one goal for Marchand and one assist for Bergeron and the the Jean-Gabriel Pajot line with Travis Zajac and Kyle Palmieri had the bulk of that assignment. And again, I know it's, it's a tough, you know, highlight considering they were on the ice for the winner, but I, I, I was really impressed with how they, they handled that line last night. I, I think that's a good sign going forward. Yeah. There's no question that, uh, well, first of all, the last two games, they've obviously done a better job against that line than they did in the first game. However, it just shows how good those guys are that in each of the last two games, they've scored huge goals, huge late goals anyway. So yeah, there's only so much you can do. Um, but that, you know, the, the, yeah, that, the, in the pregame, when they asked the starting lineups, I noticed that the loudest cheer was for Jean-Gabriel Peugeot, and it reminded me of what I wrote for my pregame column yesterday, which was, you know, I, I just goofing off on Wednesday, I do this little Twitter poll saying, who's your favorite Islander center? And I list the four guys, and I figure, you know, Barzell's going to probably win, but people love Sezikis. He'll get a lot of votes. Brock Nelson's been playing great. Maybe he'll finish second or something. And lo and behold, Peugeot, who's been here for a year, he won in a blowout like the fans have really picked up on just how valuable this guy is. And, and he showed, yeah, he showed it again in, in helping defend against that line. This, he's just, he's such an interesting player. 
Um, and, and the Islanders fans have been savvy enough to pick up on that. He can play with anybody. You know, like, like you know that that identity line is locked in, and the Barzell's line is locked in, and you know the, the you know the Nelson line is locked in, and you know, Fajot's just like, hey man, I don't know, whatever, who, who you got? <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, one of the Earl somewhere in one of these days, I wrote that yeah, you could put Pajot with me and Sparky the mascot, and we'd be good for a couple of goals. Who, who's a better skater, you or Sparky? Um. At this stage of my skating career, I'm going to go with Sparky. I don't know about 1980, but yeah, I'm going to say Sparky probably. All right. Well, we've been talking for a while now, and uh, I think we're going to stop talking soon. But first, but first, for a couple of episodes, I have a couple of Andrew's questions. Oh. Colin, we will start with you. Uh, and th th this is off of something that Neil said earlier in this broadcast. Okay. I'm just curious, what, what is your real first hockey memory? You know, what attracted you to the sport? And, you know, who did you kind of gravitate to early on uh, when you were watching hockey? So for the listeners who may not uh, necessarily know why I'm, you know, I'm an immigrant, right? So like, I, I, I wasn't born in the... In Jamaica, the, right? I, I, I am Jamaican. I yeah. came here as a teenager. And so um, I was late to hockey, I suppose. Um, but <laughs> the crazy thing is, I flipped on this hockey game one day and the thing that caught my eye and you know it's this is embarrassing to to admit was watching the linesman skate the puck back to the other ends uh, end to end on an icing call and i was like wow that guy looks pretty cool like you know the the you know that skating struggle I, I have no idea i wasn't paying attention i couldn't tell you who the linesman was but that really kind of that caught my eye and just like the strides and stuff. And I said, Oh, that's really cool. And then I started watching the game and, you know, and really it's the, it's the beauty of the skating really that, that, that keeps me here more so than the hitting. Although I like that too. Neil, and, and I wanted to ask the same question to you. Um, you know, you talked about being a hockey fan from a young age and, you know, what, what was Neil young, Neil best, you know, watching in terms of hockey? Uh, yeah, I guess like most people, most hockey, New York hockey fans my age, I was a Roger Bear guy and just watching him play was what, you know, the sort of the, introduced me to the beauty of the sport. My first game was in the last row of the garden seeing Cesar Maniago wow. for the North Stars. I think the Rangers won six nothing or something like that. But um, so that's like 1970-ish. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's kind of a boring answer to, again, given my age to say Roger Bear was my favorite player as a kid, but he was the first guy I really noticed, you know, sort of showing what hockey is like. Yeah, no, and uh, since I'll ask myself the question too, I mean, there are a couple of foundation moments for me. One is, uh, you know, I remember, and I, I've, I've mentioned this on the podcast, my dad, with the, the WHA's first year, um, you know, we getting ranger tickets was tough. We grew up, you know, I grew up in lower Manhattan. My dad was not driving out to Nassau Coliseum uh, for an Islanders game. So my, my first game 
was at Madison Square Garden, uh, New York Raiders against the Quebec Nordiques. And uh, I, I just remember like being overwhelmed by it, it. It's so different than going to a baseball game or a basketball game. Like just everything about hockey is different. And uh, I, I really gravitated to that. Plus the fact that was a there was a bench clearing brawl <laughs> into the, the Raiders Nordiques game. And then uh, the, the other defining moment was, you know, again, in, in Manhattan, you, you, you watched as most people did, you, you watched the Rangers instead of the Islanders. And my favorite player as a young kid was Eddie Jockerman. And when the Rangers cut Eddie Jockerman, I, that, that was devastating to me. And, and you know what, that was it for me and the Rangers. And I started following the Islanders at that point, but, uh, I got one wow. more. Question. I got one more question for you, Neil. China Girl by David Bowie. I, I have heard of David Bowie and of that song, yes. Is that the original version? Yes or no? I'm going to say no. You were correct. Who did the original version? I have no idea. The Stones? No, <laughs> no, no. Iggy Pop. Who oh, is, I've heard of Iggy Pop also. Iggy Pop, who is a very close friend with uh, David Bowie, they wrote the song together uh, during their Germany days in 1977, and Iggy Pop actually recorded that song first. And then David Bowie, of course, made it much more popular on the Let's Dance album. So, Neil, yeah. you were getting, you, you got the... Uh, you got the blue murder question right. You got this one. I'll give you 75% on this. So, at least, uh, Well, at least I got a shot with your questions because like, you know, SNL musical guests, I've only heard of about 10% of them at this point. But, you know, when you're going to 60s, 70s and 80s, at least I got a shot. <laughs> got a shot. And you have to say that's what the Islanders have in game four. They got a shot to tie the series up at two. Otherwise, they go back to Boston for Monday's game th uh, five in a 3-1 hole, and that would certainly be even more of a crisis than Neil and I and Colin are trying to make out a 2-1 deficit. So, uh, Before you sign off, I got a question for you. Yeah, yeah, please go ahead. What do you got for the Belmont? I, uh, I, I, I sent in my picks, and they will be appearing in – um in uh in saturday's newsday or in you can't give us a little sneak you mean your, your loyal listeners to the pod can't get a little sneak peek absolutely i'm gonna give you i'm gonna give you the uh superfecta in fact nice let's do it i've got rock your world on top of essential quality hot rod charlie and then rum bauer why do we need the fourth because I, I told you I was going to give you the, the the whole thing here. Oh, that's a super fact that you said. Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not giving you a wimpy trifecta. <laughs> you got the full-on superfecta. What, what will that pay? By the betting, by the morning line odds, those are the four betting favorites. So it's not gonna you know, pay as much as if you went, you know, to some of the uh, other horses. But let's just say 
even on a $2 bet, you hit the Superfecta, you can buy a few subs at Subway. One of these days I'll be back into Belmont betting, but I'm still, after betting $10 on Alidar to win at 78, I, I haven't gotten over that one yet. So I, I, I need a little more time. I'm still mad about that 10 bucks, but I'll, I'll be back eventually. $10 in 1978 dollars. That's a lot of money. Yeah, that was that was a great race, but I was I lost just like the Islanders in game three. Yeah, but you paid for history. Those are the affirmed Alidar races were some of the great races in, in horse racing history. I know, but I lost. Should have bet on affirmed. <laughs> uh well, they're starting to uh mow outside so that's going to introduce some static into this podcast so i will uh just sign off by thanking colin stevenson at colin s newsday and neil best at sports watch and i am andrew gross at a gross newsday and again everything we write say or think or even don't think is on newsday.com backslash aisles That's it for episode 94, and we will be back for episode 95, which might be an on-the-road episode as I head back to Boston, and that will be after Saturday's Game 4. And, oh, by the way, you you brought up the the, the video uh, of of uh, the, the girl who was drumming. Yeah. My favorite part was she finishes up this solo and looks at the camera and goes, happy hockey, everybody. So let me just repeat that sentiment. Happy hockey, everybody.